thoroughly enjoyed our song service today and this evening, this morning and this evening. We continue in our lengthy summer-long series um, that uh, uh, has been called, well, I'm not loaded, I guess. Chauncey, bring that up uh, when, we, when I do get loaded with my uh, sermon notes. Uh, evangelism episodes, and we've had, a, there it is, a number of episodes. We're, we're skipping forward to chapter 19 this evening, and we'll go back and cover uh, a couple of messages in an earlier chapter, but I wanted to be able to do those on back-to-back Sundays, and we're not meeting next Sunday evening. So we're in chapter 19, a message that I've titled, The Way is Narrow. Acts chapter 19. Um, prideful people don't like to admit it when wrong. When I'm walking in pride, I don't want to admit that, especially when it comes to directions. Uh, Kathy and I had uh, that opportunity to um, be filled with grace or not yesterday. Was it yesterday, Kathy, that uh, I got lost uh, driving? Uh, in the metropolis of Lee Summit, of all places, I was turned every which way but loose, and I was getting more aggravated by the moment as I couldn't find my way out of the the mouse's maze into which I had gotten myself, truly, Uh, and and we must have spent 20 minutes, I must have spent 20 minutes trying to find my way out, and of course I was not going to ask for directions. Well, it even seems to be more true uh, when lost spiritually, and that's because spiritually. Satan rules in the uh, spiritual realm of the lost. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Satan knows that there is a right and a wrong way, but he would rather uh, lull everyone to sleep in some religion, in some philosophy, man-made, so that they will not hear the truth, see the right way. And the Lord said this in Proverbs fourteen twelve: There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so everyone is following a way, but is it the way? The narrow way is what, is, uh, what ultimately matters. And if you would, look at Acts chapter 19. Our text illustrates the theological truth that the way is narrow. Now, what is meant by the way? Well, it's used, that phrase, used many times in Scripture, and no less than seven times in just in the book of Acts and in a number of other places. And the way could be a synonym for Christianity. It's those who have openly, who have personally identified with Christ, who who called himself the way, Uh, And if you are a believer, you are in the way. And there's two primary points I'd like to bring out from this text dealing with evangelism. Acts 19, verses 1 through 10. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper borders, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Spirit, having believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there is any Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism, that is, John the Baptist. 
Then said Paul, John verily, verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues, languages, prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and believed not, but spoke evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued for the space of two years, so that all they who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Two primary points if you're taking notes. First of all, I'd like to suggest that this passage exclaims the narrow way. It proclaims the narrow way uh, of salvation. Now, we know the book of Acts is transitional, uh, and really Acts 1.8 gives the outline. where The gospel is to be preached, to be preached at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see that that is exactly what took place in that order that in and around Jerusalem, and then persecution came, they expanded out to Judea, and then finally they went to the Samaritans. Finally, they went to, in the mission trips, to the ends of the earth. And it, this time, on Paul's third missionary journey, he landed in Ephesus. And we see in verses 1 through 7 that there are those who have ears to hear. That's why we witness. That's why we send out and support missionaries, because God has an elect out there. We don't know who they are personally. God knows who they are, and we are to proclaim uh, the message. In fact, uh, Brother Gaddy uh, read uh, Psalm 126 this evening uh, at the beginning of the service, and we are to go forth bearing precious seed, sowing the gospel seed, and God is the one who will cause us to come again with rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, that is, bringing in the harvest from that sowing that took place. So, this idea of having ears to hear um, was evident in this particular passage. There were those who, uh, whose hearts were alert to spiritual truth. Now, in the case of these 12 men, and it says there were about 12. It's hard to be dogmatic. Were they, in fact, believers? They were redeemed in the sense of the Old Testament, and, it very, and there's strong support for that, that they looked forward to the coming of Messiah, and, and that was the message of John the Baptist, and there were those who were redeemed under his preaching, certainly, and that could have been the case here. Or were these men uninformed? We don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. They truly were ignorant uh, to the, the uh, completion of the gospel, and, and this was virgin soil upon which the seed, the gospel seed, was being sown. Uh, it's, it's really, like I say, hard to be dogmatic. But the fact of the matter is, God, through his apostle, was not content to let these men continue in incomplete or misplaced faith. The narrowness of the gospel was delivered to them, and we see, in fact, that to be the case because it says that when they heard this, they were baptized. Meaning, it doesn't give the whole narrative, but they believed, they received the truth. Uh, Paul had preached uh, that uh, John, he had expanded upon what John the Baptist had said. 
and that in fact Jesus is Messiah and they in fact believed. They believed, uh, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now it's interesting that had not, they had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit, meaning uh, either they weren't saved or the Lord wanted to replicate, and I hold to this, replicate what had happened in Jerusalem on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Because it also happened, I think, in Acts chapter 10 uh, with those in Samaria and the like. And now it is happening uh, in Acts chapter 19, i.e. when uh, they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit and manifested it with the gift of languages. Now, why would that be? Well, probably... And almost certainly uh, because there was so much prejudice, and there still is uh, in our day, that uh, God did not want them to be viewed as second-class believers. So he gave them this very same manifestation of spiritual giftedness that he gave the saints at Jerusalem, that he gave in Samaria, and now he's given uh, to the Gentile churches in Asia Minor. That is a bit of speculation, uh, but uh, it's not outside... um, uh, the realm of, of possibility, in fact, either. And, and also, this very same apostle told uh, the Ephesians at a later time, he, Christ, is our peace, and he's made us all one. He's made Jew and Gentile one. You could say uh, all one if you break it down into specific ethnicities, whether it be uh, the Israelites, whether it be the Samaritans, uh, the Gentiles, uh, whatever people group you want to say, he's made us one. He's broken down that middle wall of partition between us. And so there were those, very clearly, who had ears to hear um, the narrow message of the gospel. And then we see, in verses 8 through 10, there were those who were also hardened because of unbelief. You see, folks, when when, uh, someone uh, rejects the gospel... It's not because the person is non-elect. No, uh, no one in hell will say, I'm here because I wasn't chosen. Everyone will say, I'm here because I refuse to believe. In other words, the responsibility to repent and believe is on the individual sinner. In fact, God it says in the book of Acts, he calls all men everywhere to repent. And so the message to repent, to believe, has gone out. To all the world. Well, there are those, in fact, the text tells us that, that when um, the Apostle Paul spoke boldly about the narrow way, there were those who had hard hearts. Now, what did Paul tell the Jewish leaders in this synagogue? Well, the very same thing that Jesus gave to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem namely, your good works are not going to save you. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that uh, I preached about a number of weeks ago and Mariana quoted uh, before all of us. Uh, it took her uh, 13 or so minutes and she quoted Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It wasn't that, wasn't that as you reflect back on that, wasn't that a blessing? Amen? I, I tell you, I, w- I was so blessed uh, by that. Uh, and the truth of the Sermon on the Mount is that these are not uh, 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 attributes to which we're to try to ascend. In fact, they're They're holy principles that only the Lord can do or do through you that you cannot attain to them. Uh, And uh, and in fact, they're there to show you your need. Well, that's what Jesus exactly said uh, to the uh, the Pharisees and to the religious leaders in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter ye at the straight gate. 
Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many go that way, but straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. And so, the hard-hearted did not receive and did not appreciate the narrowness of the gospel message. Now, I want you to take a note in our culture. Every way is perfectly fine. There's many ways to heaven. Well, I believe there's one way. Oh, no, no, that's not tolerated. See, we have tolerance for everything except for what we don't tolerate. <laughs> and that's the biblical way. The tr- and, of course, we ought to understand that. That's exactly what, how Satan wants it. He wants the masses to believe that the way is very broad. Just believe, as long as you're sincere in what you believe. You ever heard that? Of course. And Scripture teaches an exclusivity of the gospel. That is, it excludes everything else. It's not inclusive. Every way we can enter in, no. It's exclusive. It's narrow. And so, allow me, if, if you will, uh, to take just a moment explaining the narrow way from that Matthew 13 and 14 uh, text that we just uh, read. Because I not only want you to know about this and understand orthodox biblical Christianity and that there's a narrow way, but I want you to be able to explain it to others. See, uh, these messages are on evangelism so that we can take it and leave here, go to our neighbor, uh, go to our family member, our co-worker, and be able to, to share. Uh, let, me, let me talk to you about what I learned at church uh, uh, this past Sunday, that the gospel, the biblical gospel, is the only way. There isn't any other way. All other ways uh, are excluded. Only this way is the biblical way. And I want to use a 20-some-year-old book. John MacArthur wrote a book that he titled, uh, uh, just a, a little, really a booklet, Why One Way? Defending an Exclusive Claim in an Inclusive World. See, the world is inclusive, many ways, except for the gospel way. We're not going to tolerate that. And in this book, he identifies six reasons why we must accept, believe, uh, that the gospel, the biblical gospel, is the only way, and that uh, we need to be able to present that uh, as orthodox truth. So let me uh, offer from his book, and I think this is solid, And there's biblical support for each one of these points. First, the objectivity of the gospel. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17, the objectivity, meaning the gospel, the biblical gospel, is not subjective, which is the opposite of objective. Objective is based on revealed truth. Subjective is how I feel about it. It doesn't matter how someone feels about the gospel. It's whether or not uh, it is uh, true as it is stated in Scripture. And so it's in sharp contrast to everyone's belief system is just as good as someone else's belief system. You know, the professing church, the professing church has not been spared from this insidious infection. Uh, uh, it creeps into even, uh, even churches that seemingly say we believe the Bible, 
to want to give an out or something for God. Uh, well, uh, I, I know, but uh, I, I know that uh, this particular view, we'll, we'll pick on Roman Catholicism. I don't mind at all uh, seeing a Roman Catholic um, uh, either who, who is saved, who truly somehow uh, got saved because it wasn't because uh, of the, uh, the truth that was presented there, uh, because it's in error, but to come out of that. I, I will, I will, I will openly, unapologetically call every single one who is caught up in that religious system to leave, to turn from that, and to uh, uh, align with an orthodox Bible-believing church. Uh, but it, it, so that idea uh, is insidious. There are believers who, who would say, uh, well, there are saved Catholics, and, all, and there very well are. The issue that I'm addressing is not, are there saved Catholics? And I'm just picking on that. The, the issue is, if you're a saved, should you remain a Catholic? And the overwhelming answer is, no, of course not. It is a religious system that has inaccurate soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And that's to be pointed out. And if I'm the one who has to point that out, then, uh, then that's, that's the calling that I have, but some of you have been raised in uh, in that religious system or around that religious system, and you know the bondage that it brings, and there's not freedom there. John MacArthur wrote, some who call themselves evangelicals are openly insisting that faith alone in Jesus is not the only way to heaven. They're now convinced that people of all faiths will be in heaven, Others are simply cowardly, embarrassed, or hesitant to affirm the exclusivity of the gospel in an era when inclusivity, pluralism, tolerance are deemed supreme virtues by the secular world. Apparently, the evangelical movement's biggest fear today is that we will be seen as out of harmony with the world. My, have you seen one of the TV preachers interviewed uh, by Oprah or, or, or someone such as that? I tell you, I, I so appreciate the times that I saw uh, MacArthur on um, Larry King. Uh, and, and Larry King would ask him, these, uh, who, who was Jewish and I don't even think uh, a believing uh, or practicing uh, Jewish man, uh, but would ask him just really uncomfortable. Are you saying, John MacArthur, that Christ is the only way and all these other religions are wrong and they're hell-bound? And then, of course, he would answer unapologetically, kindly, uh, in humility, with what, folks, it's either every way is open or there's one way that's open and the path to heaven. And I'm here to proclaim God's word that it is the latter, that is the exclusive gospel. And God help us, there are Baptist churches in this city which have supported interfaith prayer meetings. That is, let's come together as Christians and Hindus and Muslims and Catholics and Jews and let's pray together. Impossible if you hold to the truths of, of, of your particular religion uh, or if you are a Bible believer, we cannot pray together effectively, that is. Um, uh, it, it's not as if God is meeting with such a group. And you've heard me, some folks say, uh, I am not interested in promoting the National Day of Prayer. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get letters on this one. 
this country and, and our politicians, we are full of degenerate, immoral, theological infidels. And one day a year, we uh, put on the trappings of, of rubbing up next to God. And let's have a national day of prayer. Doesn't matter that you're vile and immoral and, uh, uh, and, and your language is not to be heard and whatever else. We're going to have this national day of prayer because after all, we want God to kind of come along with us. And of course, we'll reinvent character traits and virtues and, and all the rest. Um unregenerate sinners pausing for a moment on a certain day to acknowledge they aren't supreme and then living the rest of the year as if they were and that they are. God has contempt for such a thing. He spoke to it about giving lip service to him. Amos 5, 21 to 24, I hate. <laughs> if God says he hates something, that startles you, doesn't it? I despise your feast days. I'll not take delight in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meal offerings, I'll not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take away from me the noise of your songs and your national prayer meetings and your, uh, and your inner faith, whatever it might be. I'll not hear the melody of your harps but let justice run down like waters and let righteousness be like a mighty stream. There is an exclusivity to, what, uh, to the way of God. To the way. The way is narrow. And folks, someone needs to hold to that. And so either you believe that and I believe it or we don't. It, it cannot be both ways. It's objectively narrow. Secondly, the rationality of the gospel. 1 John 2.21 says, um, there it is, the rationality. 1 John 2.21, no lie is of the truth. You see, to hold that all views have equal truth is irrational. Up isn't down, in isn't out, good isn't bad, light isn't dark. It, to hold that it's all equal is irrational. It's not, it's not intellectual honesty. Take, for instance, evolution. The evolutionary atheistic scientist will say, we're simply going on the scientific data. And we believe that over billions of years, give us enough, enough time, that nothing can produce something. Okay, but all you want is to, to Bible thump. Okay, Mr. Scientist, PhD, astrophysicist, geologist, whatever you might be. Let's just talk about the science. And all you need is one point. Either one of the first two laws of thermodynamics. First law, the conservation of mass. Energy or matter cannot be created nor destroyed. Therefore, what you're proposing is spontaneous presence of matter that violate violate scientific law or uh, if you want billions of years for things to the goo to evolve into molecules and the molecules evolve into someone walking down main street 
then that violates the second law of thermodynamics, which says everything is tending toward disorder, not toward order. And so to hold to that against what ought to be abundantly obvious. Now, uh, it's not abundantly obvious that it's biblical creationism, but it's certainly obvious that it cannot be evolution. It's irrational. And yet, men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because, they, because their, 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 their science tells them otherwise? No, because their deeds are evil. And if I want to live in e- an evil life, then I have to dismiss the judge that I'm going to face one day. And ergo, get away with it, at least in my own mind. So, it is irrational to hold to many, many ways, or all ways are equally true. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not arguing for rationalism, which says that whatever I dream up, human reason can discover truth. The gospel is rational in that it is obtained through a reasoned study of objective data. What does the text say? Is that a reasoned understanding? And of course the gospel is. Namely, man has sinned. I think we have enough world history to demonstrate that. And you have enough personal history to affirm that, right? Amen? Man has sinned. God is. And he has provided the way. And the only way. It's objective, it is rational. Thirdly, the veracity of the gospel. 2 Samuel 7, 28, a good verse. David proclaimed, O Lord God, thou art God, and thy words are true. The premise that the narrow way is based on objectivity, understood in a reasoned or rational way, means that it is true. Modern man isn't interested in absolute truth, but those who know the truth know that it is trustworthy and human reason will fail and will falter. So there is the truthfulness of the claims. The claims that it makes have or will come to pass. For instance, I believed uh, at 46 years ago, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Anybody else believe that with all your heart at some time in your life? All have sinned. And I also believed, because the Word of God said it, that He demonstrated His love. And that even though I am a sinner, Christ died and provided the way of everlasting life. And I believe that. I receive that. I embrace that and called upon him. And we know that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is a veracity to the biblical gospel. Third, fourthly, its authority. Mark one twenty two. they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one who had authority. Jesus was not a lightweight teacher of a good philosophy. He was the authoritative God-man who burned truth into the hearts of those who had ears to hear. He has given us the authority to testify of the very narrow way. Now, let me say, why, why, do you, why are you badgering us in this way? Or, 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 or why is this so important, folks? 
Because if you're not presenting biblical truth, then there's no power. There's no, there's no unction. There's no anointing. If you're watering it down, it doesn't help anyone. In fact, it hurts. Do you remember, uh, we'll say 30 years ago, I don't know how long ago it was, the, in the Kansas City area, the pharmacist who was skimming money off the top by, by diluting uh, chemotherapy for cancer. Anybody remember that? The guy made millions, and he was a faithful church member somewhere here in the area, uh, and gave millions of dollars to his local church. And yet these these patients were dying at an unprecedented rate. Why? Because they were getting a fourth of the dose of the chemo that they were supposed to get, and he was dividing it among four people instead of one person getting it. And it, it not only didn't help them, it seriously hurt them. Y'all following the illustration? If we don't understand the, the, the biblical gospel and present that, then we are not only not helping somebody, we're actually hurting them. God has established that his way is narrow. It's, it excludes every other way. And we're only helping the lost by kindly, graciously, uh, not being ugly about it. I don't want to be ugly about it with a lost person. I want that person to come to understand that I care for your soul. And what's more, God loves you to the degree that he provided the way. Fifthly, MacArthur wrote, the gospel, biblical gospel, is incompatible with anything else. Isaiah 8, 20. To the law, to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because they have no light in them. Biblical Christianity and world religions or philosophies are incompatible. Why? Because the will, the word, and the way of God are narrow and exclusive. And it's not because I say that. You know John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven but by me. And, and Acts 4, 12, very same principle. There's not salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Christ is the way and the only way. Scripture teaches that we are to present this truth uh, to this lost and dying world, even though they are saying all ways lead to heaven. Talk to them about the objective truth we have in the Word of God. Use apologetics. Talk to them about how irrational it is to say all ways are equal. Well, that, that can't be true. It can't be true that there are many gods because by definition, God is all-powerful. Uh, can you have many all-powerfuls? That's irrational. And so if you'll point out uh, those kinds of, uh, Larry, inconsistencies, uh, not, that's not the word you use. What's the word? Self-contradictions. Thank you. Uh, look at, read Larry's book on uh, apologetics and, and giving an answer to, uh, to the lost world. And then finally, the integrity of the biblical gospel. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy, if you will, in a, in a simplified version. And those who identify with Christ and his gospel 
have sworn allegiance to him, and therefore he calls us to stand with integrity for the truth of that. To do otherwise is to breach our integrity. Uh, It's to give lip service to our commitment. Uh, It's what Peter did in just a moment, denying all that he already knew. And of course, he was so broken and repentant that that only lasted for just a little bit. Um, Our belief, our commitment to the exclusive gospel must play out in our behavior. And so I, uh, I want all of us to have to really come to grips with the, the fundamental nature of the exclusivity of the gospel, that the way is narrow, because to do otherwise is to be deluded, to be self-deceived, to be rebellious, and not help anyone, because the Word of God says there is a way. Walk in it. Christ, the narrow way. You know, only, Christi- only biblical Christianity has God condescending to come to man. Every other religion has man trying to ascend somehow to reach God, to come to a utopian uh, world. And that's being the best person you can be. Be your best you now or something like that, whatever the book is called. Psalm 1-6 tells us the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. There are many ways out there, lots and lots of ways, but there's only one exclusive way that leads to life. Psalm 119-30, I have chosen the way of truth. What about you? Are you in the way of truth, the biblical way, where you have said, in so many words, and confess to the Lord, I have sinned against you, God of heaven. How dare I, what audacity to know that you live and you rule and you reign and I am a lost sinner. I, I, I renounce that. I repent of that. I turn from that and I accept your free gift, the narrow way of everlasting life. In Christ, If that has not taken place in your life in a very real and definitive way, call upon him even this evening. Those watching by way of internet, bow your, your heart right now and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm lost and I need your mercy and I accept the exclusive nature of the gospel that you are the way, the truth, the life. There's not salvation in any other Come into my life. Save me. Forgive me. Make me your own. Those who would make that commitment, send us an email. Let us know. We'll rejoice in the Lord with newfound faith in your heart. Lord, I'm so thankful for this, your word, uh, these these, uh, evangelism episodes, how you're burning in my heart more and more the desire, the conviction to share the message of salvation with a lost and dying world. Pray for the two Mormons that I met while away in Oregon. Gave them the exclusive gospel. Lord, would you 
move on in their hearts that they'd accept the challenge to look at the Mormon view of the doctrine of Christ and historic Christianity. Do that work, Lord, as only y'all never see them again, humanly speaking. But you know where they are, and you know who they are. And Lord, for those, for the rest of us, it's not just about me and what I'm doing for you, but all of us, those gospel seeds allow to germinate, to bring in a harvest in any one of our lives as we shared. And give us more and more opportunity, more and more evangelism episodes in our pilgrimage of serving you so that you may be praised among the nations for your saving mercy in the lives of those who have ears to hear and call upon you. Thankful for our time of reflection of your word, the truths of it. Bless the fellowship to follow, the food. We're grateful for it. Because of our gratefulness, it's sanctified. It is used of you to keep us strong, healthy, serving you. So bless our time out of the pavilion immediately following. And this week, as we live for you, be glorified, Lord Jesus. Blessed name.